0: Our collective genius is so much broader than any of us knows or can imagine when operating in isolation.
1: Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. As you probably know by now, if you're a regular listener, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire you to be more philanthropic, act more sustainably, and embrace social entrepreneurship. And please... um, if you're so inclined, do subscribe to the show. It makes a huge difference for us and for our listeners as well. And without further ado, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome on board Marcus Walton, who is the CEO of Grantmakers for Effective Organizations, or GEO. It's a 20-year-old organization based in the States. It really helps grantmakers uh, make better decisions, become more effective. I think you have about 600 members, and uh, mainly in the U.S., but also possibly with an eye on the international landscape. So Marcus, welcome on board. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today.
0: Thank you, it's such a pleasure to be a part of this conversation.
1: Great, so why don't we kick off? Tell me a little bit about, um, about GEO, Grantmakers for Effective Organizations.
0: Thanks, and, and you summed us up well. Uh, GEO is a membership association of the philanthropic sector, uh-huh. which includes thousands and thousands of grant-making entities of all types, of uh, all shapes and sizes and focuses. Um, and as a membership association, we provide uh, varying levels of support. Uh, we create a space for funders to come together to build out their networks, to learn about uh, the practices, the cutting edge tools and concepts that are guiding uh, the latest philanthropic trends. And and also to uh, answer the big questions around how philanthropy can be more effective in, in uh, supporting the kinds of changes that we'd like to see uh, in our communities.
1: Sure And tell me so you've been around for 20 years or slightly more than 20 years. I think it was 97 that you were you, you started mm-hmm. up how, how are things? Uh, unfolding what what are what are the trends what's happening with grant makers these
0: days? Well, Brother, I think I think you'll appreciate um, the way in which I'm thinking about uh, response to that question mm-hmm. nowadays uh, and initially Geo was, uh, it developed a reputation of excellence actually. My um, predecessor, who was the founding executive, uh, positioned the organization to uh, consider the important ways in which uh, philanthropic practice translated into uh, the kinds of results that we aspire for from our investments. Mm-hmm. So, what are the best practices, the most promising? Uh, initiatives and approaches to doing the work over the past 20 years. Geo was the place where we cataloged those. We packaged them up in publications that you can still get access to as a member. Uh, we brought thought leaders together within the network as it grew, and and really became the go-to place for uh, philanthropic resources. If you wanted to learn about good grant making, how to be a smarter grant maker. Mm-hmm. And to, the fact, to the point where uh, GEO actually branded its publication with that, that title. So every year, there's a, a smarter grant-making publication that members and stakeholders across the sector can, can take advantage of. Well, That's excellent. Yeah, but after 20 years, like so many other things, uh, we realized that that was great and, and important.
1: It mm-hmm. remains
0: important, and there's something about the way that society has evolved, that globalization has informed our way of experiencing the world uh, in our day-to-day lives where just having access to information isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Right? Perhaps that was a different story at a different point in time, but now there's a question of how do we use the information that we access? And so, the vision for GEO going forward is to Take another look at those best practices, all of the the different uh, knowledge uh, pieces and the tools and the frameworks that we accumulated and organized in the past. Apply a historical lens to understand them in context, Mm -hmm. extract the lessons, interrogate those together to inform practice going forward. So the emphasis is on the application right and and that's where we believe the magic happens. That's why I was brought on to the organization is to support mobilization in a way that aligns with a more global conversation for change.
1: because you joined the organization fairly recently as the CEO correct
0: that's correct it's It's been a process that began over the summer but uh, meaning August mm-hmm. uh, for us but but literally it's been. Two and a half months, where I've been fully on board, uh, considering the, the a, a new vision and, and how to uh, reach some of those goals that I just outlined. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's some great opportunities that I'm looking forward to sharing with you and the audience.
1: I noticed in the um, in your strategic direction document or, or uh, vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, one of the items there that that is clearly marked is about integrating uh, Racial equity into your vision for smarter grant making and love to hear a little bit more about that.
0: Oh Yeah, I mean literally my background is a 10-year a, a uh, Trainer in, for racial equity mm-hmm. within the philanthropic sector in particular. So I've learned about a lot of organizations and met a lot of the, the people who make up the philanthropic sector uh, through providing them directly with training. Uh, so being able to provide to serve them from this vantage point is really a dream come true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I started off as a community organizer, as someone who really wanted to directly impact change in communities. Uh, I came from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, which is okay. one of the manufacturing towns. Um, in the country, the kind of the Midwest, where it's the gritty, hardworking, uh, the the folks of the, the with the work ethic of uh, of a, a, an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. That, that mm-hmm. really typified the culture uh, that I that I emerged from. And philanthropy is now a place where we can support the transitions that have impacted those communities in ways that have deteriorated the social fabric. That have challenged economic development and the community and the well-being of those communities. So, uh, so yes, it, it, it's 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 something that when we talk about racial equity, we're talk- talking about the historical impact of policies and practices that have created conditions that face us today. Mm-hmm. Right. And with that analysis, it means that everything we do as grantmakers, we're considering what have been the decisions that contributed to how things are now? Mm-hmm. What? How do the institutions reinforce some of the disparities, right? Some of the inequitable conditions that keep some group disadvantaged and actually provide advantage for others, right? So advantage access to resources, to opportunities. Uh, and then how do we, Uh, think about our work in a way that improves conditions for all of the groups involved, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding that we have different needs, we're all facing different challenges, and that we bring uh, a a variety of of resources to the table in terms of our strengths uh, that can be uh, leveraged or intensified with a really intentional investment strategy. So Mm -hmm. that's that's what we support each support the field to be able to to do through our racial equity focus
1: do you find that uh, grant makers are in tune with this that they're eager to learn about it that they're doing the right thing or possibly not doing the right thing but doing it with good intentions what's how are you looking
0: at that Fantastic question. I would love to hear how you feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suspect I have it. I know your answer. <laughs> mm. uh, but I, I would say that over the decade or more now that I've offered this this training, facilitation, and coaching support, I just add, uh, for, for executives who are challenged with considering how to implement this, uh, what I've noticed is just after, and, and I'll I'll introduce a political mm-hmm. context just for timing. Sure. But, but if you think about the the back end, the second term of President Obama, uh, there was a a national sentiment that, or at least a question in the national discourse, that suggested that perhaps we had reached a post racial period. In America, Mm -hmm. where the designation of race was no longer necessary. I can't tell you who surfaced this, but but the idea was catching on. Uh, And it was catching on with such regard that my initial work was making the case for racial equity. It was saying, we believe it's important to be explicit about the historical impact of these decisions on communities today because communities of color in particular, mostly African-American and uh, and African-descended communities in the United States are faring worse off in every issue area that you can imagine uh, from education, housing, child welfare, and workforce development. Um, When you look at the data, so the data was telling a story that the discourse was not. The data was saying there's something about our racial designation that disadvantages the communities that we're serving. And we need to explore that. And so philanthropy had not moved into a space where that was the consensus viewpoint. Right. It, It was being considered. And we were leading that conversation. Fast forward. Three years, something happened. It was still in the Obama administration, but there was something that suggested to the field you know what? This is no longer a question. Post racialism is as an ill conceived notion. And we want to know what people are doing in racial equity. It went from if we should have this conversation to how do we have it and what are other people doing. And mm-hmm. it, it felt like the conversation shifted overnight. Uh, mm-hmm. and And ever since then there's been an increase in desire to the point where the sector has as its primary focus this conversation of how do we integrate racial equity or equity? they're not saying racial necessarily mm-hmm. but but how do we uh incorporate this equity analysis into our grant making
1: and how do they how how do they incorporate it into their
0: uh... ah great the the question of the day right it mm-hmm. means bringing an intentional practice. It means mm-hmm. that every time you develop a program, you engage the communities that you are intent- attempting to serve in mm-hmm. the process. So it's it's an inclusive, collaborative approach to grant making. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it It's the opposite of a more paternalistic, institutional approach that says, we know what you need. Mm-hmm. Instead it says, we are creating a space to be a thought partner for you, with you to respond to some of the persistent needs, perhaps the most persistent uh, challenges that have faced this community. Totally different approach. It means that we are taking a change versus charity approach, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, charitable giving has been a thing that had a lot of status associated with it. Uh, it was also something that was uh, over time became a, a traditional type of symbolic gesture that didn't necessarily translate into impact. Today, with a more global point of view, our emphasis is on the impact of our work in communities mm-hmm. and and bringing this approach that is targeted, that considers the historical impact of discriminatory policies, uh, identifying those policies and replacing those that create more equitable conditions is the focus of our work. So you have to b- do assessments, right? Mm-hmm. You have to you have to use frameworks that allow for local leadership, the leadership of the communities that you want to serve, whether they're organizations or individuals, to be integrated into the problem-solving group. So working in partnership with those, strengthening those, perhaps even investing in those organizations that don't necessarily meet your criteria for larger, more established organizations.
1: Mm -hmm. So there's
0: a a flexibility around how we think about our funding and our processes for moving money out of the door. Uh, I think at the end of the day, that's what it looks like in practice.
1: Now, that's absolutely great. Now, let me ask you, as, as somebody who, who used to lead a, a grant-making organization as well, there is a lot of the times a challenge where you want your grantee to be absolutely candid with you and share with you their problems and challenges. And, and
0: yeah. you know,
1: it's it, getting that to happen is very difficult at other times because they're concerned that if they share with you their problems and they're too candid and too... Open with their yeah, with the hurdles, right. it, then you're going to lose trust. You're going to mark them down. You're going to how do you engage with the local community with those grantees and foster that trust and hopefully entice them and invite them to be really candid with you about everything, the good and the bad.
0: Uh, so, so there's the challenge. Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the challenge to the sector. Uh, the way I think about it, Alberto, is that we have an opportunity actually an imperative to engage in these transactional relationships in a transformative way, right? It's centering the person. It's it's not putting the investment first, Mm -hmm. but uh, actually identifying the status of the individual, of the communities, and meeting them where they are with the amount and the type of investment that better Re- correlates or reflects the need. Um, and so a, a, a more transformative engagement means that I actually prioritize developing trust, mm-hmm. right? Trust building. That means we have to have a set of agreements around which we hold each other accountable. So I'm, in some way, I'm seeding the power that I have in that relationship in order to more equally. Meet the grantee as a partner in that relationship, but it is being intentional about being in a relationship uh, and and sometimes quite frankly there are there are colleagues who are not necessarily in this work to develop that those kinds of relationships
1: mm-hmm.
0: right they, they came to the work for different reasons, and I think there's room for everyone and yet if we are interested in impact the imperative is to shift our mindset in the way in which we think about institutional philanthropy to accommodate the diversity of experiences of our grantees and reflect that in our systems so mm-hmm. we have to we have to make changes in how we do what we do
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how do you um how do you encourage your your members to take on board what you're telling me right now uh one thing i suppose is to publish something and hopefully everybody reads it and that's that but that's not going to lead to much behavioral change so how do you encourage both the executive teams and foundations and rent makers and also the boards which may not necessarily align with the executive team right
0: that's right that's right how do you
1: so it's a big challenge how do you do that
0: this is where I think uh, the GLs of the world, and we call it, we refer to ourselves as a, a philanthropy serving organization. Because you're not so a grant
1: maker yourself.
0: That's correct. Right. So there's a variety, there's a group of 40 plus or more philanthropy serving organizations that provide very nuanced data to support and inform decision making, mm-hmm. uh, toolkits, all of those types of assessments, the things that I just described, coaching. What we can do at GEO is bring the thought leaders to our members. So you don't have to go out and and travel the world in order to hear from the most cutting-edge thinkers on how to do this effectively. Mm -hmm. We bring them to conferences. We organize webinars. uh, We also organize peer learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. So CEOs come together multiple times a year to share their stories of what it's like for them to lead change. Uh, They get to talk about the challenges. They get to ask their peers uh, for insights and feedback on what's working for them or what they've learned from their own experiences mm-hmm. before, before they enter into a conversation. Uh, so the peer-to-peer engagement is one of the ways in which, especially groups like trustees, who may be a little bit more removed from philanthropy, uh, actually start to be able to uh, shift, like feel more connected in, in meaningful ways to the work that's being done. The other thing that I'll mention is, is and it's kind of obvious, but uh, we can never... Uh, undervalue or, or over uh, overvalue the uh, impact of conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard over and over again from members that there are not enough big tents in the sector, meaning there are not enough spaces where a bunch of like-minded individuals who share values, who are interested in change and improving conditions for society overall uh, can come together, Around issues that they care most about and learn from each other, from thought leaders and actually be challenged to advance a different vision, a shared vision for our work. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So this idea of a shared vision, Alberto, I believe is what is the, the missing link. Because once w- the shared part of that suggests that we all have bought into uh, the vision. And once we have the the personal buy-in or the organizational buy-in, then we have the skin in the game. Then we've made the commitment that's necessary uh, to continue to move over a a time horizon toward change. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do believe that setting uh, reasonable or realistic or explicit timelines uh, just so we have the expectations in place as a sector uh, to to inform our commitments uh, is a critical component to that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the person-to-person is really important, uh, reinforced by uh, a set of resources that are very practical and accessible uh, and connected to implementation.
1: And tell me about some of your partners and members, and because you have some serious names uh, associated with GEO.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, there are the largest foundations. So the Ford Foundation, for example, in a series of the foundations that are are similarly poised that are actually international in their focus as well as domestic. Uh, but then they're not just the, the smaller uh community foundation. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a group that comes to mind immediately. I just had a conversation with uh the executive director, um the uh community uh the Nexus community, which is a a grant making entity in Minnesota. Okay uh, it's fairly small, but they they work uh they focus on economic development and create these Uh, grant these worker collaboratives to support uh, individuals in the region and inform that conversation nationally uh, to improve uh, uh, the income uh, acquisition for Mm -hmm. various residents in the community. So they're they're making change in their community through their economic development initiatives. But that's not your traditional grant-making entity. But then we also have community foundations around the country, uh, we have family foundations that are small or perhaps not not even staffed by a professional mm-hmm. uh, uh, core of employees, but the family members who are uh, continuing the family legacy through their philanthropic efforts, all of them and corporate entities all fit under our membership.
1: Can an individual philanthropist also join you, or must they be an organization?
0: Well, so there, there's a there's room for everyone, as we say. Mm-hmm. So an individual, because usually if they're if they're an individual uh, philanthropist, they're connected to an entity, mm-hmm. uh, and and we believe that you get the biggest bang for your buck uh, by uh, availing the members of the entity, including the leader, uh, to the variety of resources that are available through membership. But yes, the, those individuals can also uh, connected to the network.
1: What is your website address?
0: Uh, G O G E O funders with an S dot org. G E O F U N D E R S dot org.
1: Great. So tell me a little bit about your actual work right now. What are you really excited about? What's, um, well, hopefully you're getting a good night's sleep, but let's say you're not. And let's say you're not getting a good night's (laughs) sleep because there's a lot of excitement. What, uh, what's on your mind right now? What are you really, um, looking to drive forward, especially since you're still fairly new in, in, in the organization?
0: Oh, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm, nowadays, if I'm not getting to sleep, it's because of excitement. Uh-huh. Uh the, the field is just, we're so well poised as an organization to, to lead change in the field amongst a group of change leaders who have said, now's the time. Now's mm-hmm. the time for us to be different. Now's the time for us to be more explicit in the change that we want to see in the sector and in in the broader society. Uh, So GEO and my work at GEO is really to create the space, like we're curating conversations geographically. Imagine this Alberto, once per month, one week out of every month Mm -hmm. indefinitely from now until the end of my tenure. I'm in a community geographically located in a city or state or municipality with a co-host who is a member organization or stakeholder to learn about their issues so they're sharing their priorities mm-hmm. they're convening their colleagues from around the region um, including the nonprofit and other service providers that care about these priorities right uh, we're hearing from local uh, leaders who are moving the work right so this is about real movement happening in places and we're flying in providing a national point of view to inform the conversation that's taking place around those priorities and then from those conversations elevating those conversations to the national discourse through our co- national conferences through our virtual tools and, and, and resources and really providing a different kind of a platform mm. for leaders who quite frankly may be flying under the radar and may be unknown to a, a broader national audience.
1: Sure. So you must be, well, first of all, you must be racking up the frequent flyer miles.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, already, already.
1: <laughs> but second of all, and arguably much more important, you're probably learning a great deal
0: every week. Indeed. And that's where I'm most excited. That's why the sleep that I lose is about the anticipation of the next moment. Mm-hmm. Because now we're truly operating as a learning organization. And so so our form, is following function. So now we're hiring uh, senior leaders within our team who are aligned with this way of operating, Mm -hmm. with this mindset of leading change in the field as opposed to uh, leading charity, uh, who are focused on impact and have backgrounds in generating impact through their efforts with others. So there's also a degree of collaboration that is shaping a culture in our organization that is welcomed by all.
1: What's your organization look like? How many people are working there and where are they based? You're, you're in Maryland right now. Um, tell, tell me yeah. about that.
0: So I, I live in Maryland. I'm about 30 or 40 minutes away from our home office. We're based in uh, the D.C. area, mm-hmm. uh, downtown uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, we have 20 staff and we're growing. All right, right. so we'll be at our best we'll We'll probably approach thirty um, uh like i said i'm I'm new in my tenure, although not new to the organization. I was right. a founder of the organization. I was a racial equity trainer uh several years ago when in, when they were early in their process, so I'm very familiar with the organization, but uh we're at a point now where uh the twenty plus staff have done their internal work Mm -hmm. of creating the kind of culture that can support our external aspirations for the
1: work. Where do you want to go um, with your organization in the next 10 years? What does success look like in the next 10 years? And, um, you know, I always say that dovetails very nicely with the uh, Sustainable Development Goals for 2030. And how how, how are you looking? If we're we're sitting down having a podcast in 10 years time and you're thinking this is a really great ride, what, what would that have looked like?
0: That, that's, that's a great question. I, I think it looks like, uh, there's an, there's a geo East, perhaps okay. and geo West, perhaps.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: there's a, I would be able to introduce you to my successor mm-hmm. that is, that is being intentionally groomed to, to um uh, take over for me as I consider the next, the next adventure or the next phase of the, the process for my own, uh, my individual or professional goals. Uh, there's a, a a staff that is evolved and refined its focus in such a way that uh, there's a, a shared model of leadership that reflects all of the principles and practices that I just outlined around mm-hmm. collaboration mm-hmm. Uh, that we we have uh, an advisory body of nonprofit practitioners informing our work. Uh, that every individual who is interested in impacting uh, philanthropic investment or exploring uh, making an impact with their investment has a way of uh, joining the membership that is very explicit, clear, and has a tr- and, and refined and streamlined uh, for ease. Uh, I can go on and on. No, but, that's uh, great. But essentially, yeah, we 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 would be a microcosm of the and a model for the sector as the sector continues to move and and transform itself in the ways that align with our uh, smarter grant making framework.
1: When you say that there would be a geo east and a geo west, would the geo east be east coast, or would the geo east possibly be in Europe
0: or Eastern <laughs> east, east Asia? <laughs>
1: You I would never say know. the
0: latter. I think it would be global. I think it'd be global. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the West would be the, the U S domestic front, um, with a real emphasis on the sections of the country that tend to be overlooked mm-hmm. or underinvested.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me one of the things we, we, we touched on a little bit earlier, um, uh, before we clicked the, the record button, but, um, is about the state of affairs of philanthropy itself. It, it is, to some extent, under attack in some respects, in some quarters. Uh, philanthropy seems to be um, driving some debate. Tell me a little about your thinking about philanthropy and um, how palpable are changing sentiments uh, in this area.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I may weigh in slightly differently than mm-hmm. you may have heard, but I, I hope that adds a little more texture to the conversation Great. but the the way i i think about philanthropy as i mentioned the 10 year arc or so of how racial equity has evolved and become more central to the conversation mm-hmm. i i see a, a generation of philanthropic and nonprofit leaders transitioning out of their roles and uh, a a the next generation of leaders transitioning into those leadership roles and the the appetite for change the expectation for change with this next generation of leaders which includes myself
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh is is noticeably different and it's not that our values are different there's there's more of an imperative for impact in a way that is that where there's a higher tolerance for disruption mm-hmm. Um, and a a higher uh, interest, perhaps, in leveraging the capital that I've accumulated over the years through my service in the sector toward Mm -hmm. the change goals that I'd like to see in philanthropy. Mm -hmm. So in, in other words, I still see myself as an organizer of philanthropic resources not as an executive officer inside of an institution, right, so we are so this is a part of a broader movement for change uh, that is connected to the global changes that are impacting day to day life here in the states mm-hmm. um, and so the sector as an industry as a structure has not necessarily been designed to facilitate change,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Right? And so it has, like so many systems do, it is responding to the changes being promoted through the system. And as such, it is there are real moments of tension, uh, real moments of difference that require, the formation of relationships and the development of trust and the clarity of purpose and the shared vision that I just described. Mm-hmm. Uh, the centering of the people who make up the system to ensure and prioritize well-being over transactions, right mm-hmm. So it's not we're not only banks, although legally, right there's not much different. We are trusts public trusts, uh, but as public trusts, we're emphasizing the public portion, <laughs> the to what end are these resources accumulated and invested. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the, the shift that I'm experiencing in the sector across all of the different designations from corporate to family, private, um, individual uh, institutions. We're seeing that this change agenda, this focus on impact, and this interest in culture, mm-hmm. in a way that hasn't been a part of the traditional conversation, and that's exciting.
1: Great. Tell me if our listeners forgot everything that we've just talking about, but hopefully they won't. But if they did, what's that key takeaway that you want uh, that you want them to keep in mind after they finish listening to the episode?
0: That we're in a moment uh, in time where the changes we want to see are accessible and it's a call to action for us to apply those things that we've learned, not just accumulate information and focus on our intellectual uh, stimulation, but really apply the principles and the tools and the resources that we learn to produce, to mobilize our spheres of influence, to participate in change, Mm -hmm. to activate change, to be a part of actively uh, transitioning uh, organizations, entities, and social conditions from one state of, of uh, existence to another. Like the time is really now, uh, we're global and we're all in this together. We're not going it alone um, and, and we're stronger. Our collective genius is so much broader than any of us knows or can imagine when operating in isolation.
1: Excellent. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to wrap things up. Mark, it's really absolutely a pleasure. And I wish you uh, continued success with everything you're doing, with your new role, and also a a happy Thanksgiving, which is just around the corner. So uh, on all fronts, really, thank you very, very much.
0: Oh, I appreciate this. I look forward to ongoing conversations, especially that 10-year conversation that we just discussed.